Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Do you know what it feels like to truly be free? And I know it's been a while since July 4, 1776, when they finalized the Declaration of Independence, and you and I have now for a long time lived in this country where we enjoy freedom, but I'm not really talking about whatever constitutional collateral you might be given to do this or that thing or the other in this land of the free and the home of the brave. I'm actually really asking you about what goes on in here and what goes on in here when I ask you, do you really know what it's like to truly be free. I read a story this last week of a woman whose motherly instincts got the better of her in a good way. Her husband was in too deep with the cartel. She knew she couldn't get out any other way, so she fled with her two kids and is now living under the Witness Protection Program. New names, new identity, new life. When asked about all of the ramifications of this in this anonymous article, This anonymous story that I was reading, she described that her life feels like it's it's a unique prison. She wakes up every day looking over her shoulder, wondering if the wrong person is going to find her for the secrets that she divulged to the authorities. Fear enslaves her. Worry enslaves her. She lives in the same land that you and I do. Does she really live truly, freely? Think of a guy that I know who spent some time overseas serving in the armed forces. And having served in another country overseas that does not enjoy even by a long shot the freedoms that you and I enjoy, he just says, Caleb, we, we have no idea. We have no idea. By comparison, though, living in that And serving there for a time, you can kind of see it now, but when we kind of live where we live, we kind of can easily take that for granted if we've always known that, and even the generations before and now the generations next never really know. Do we know what it's like to truly be free? I talked with a man last year who was passing through town. He was only going to be in town for a couple months. I was the closest church. Google is a thing. He called me up and asked me if I would meet him for coffee. Sure, I'm a sucker for some afternoon caffeine. As we were talking about his story, he described that he was 15 years free of cancer, and he had an ominous appointment that he was awaiting. And he described his existence as one of slavery, a slave to the medication, a slave to his diet and exercise, even a slave to every bit of advice that his doctors gave. Lives in the same land you and I do. Does he really truly know what it's like to be free? Do you? As many others who have gone before us, guys like Winston Churchill and many leaders, Eisenhower, Ronald Reagan, each of them have their own unique quotes and many others do about how freedom is always one generation away from when we might lose it and freedom is the easiest thing to lose for those who take it for granted and things like that. But I ask you this with no pithy intent. This is, this is a very sincere question when you pause and think about it for a second. Can, can you and I truly understand what it is like to live freely if we've never, ever lived where it's been taken from us, if we've never almost been enslaved, can we really truly comprehend that? 
And, and if even that is the truth when it comes to things like what you say, where you go to worship, where you go, and what you may or may not carry, which people care way too much about compared to, compared to peace of mind, a calmness of one's heart, and a tranquility in your soul, can, can you and I actually know what it's like to live in that way, in that greater way, truly, freely? God wants you to have that. Today you and I get to be blessed by God as we open up his word and we hear no less than the Son of God himself telling us that he wants you and me to know that we are truly and forever free. And not just for time, but for eternity. But what you have to know at the outset, what you have to know, is that this type of freedom like all freedom, doesn't necessarily come freely. This isn't one of those freedoms where you kind of name it and you claim it, or so long as you feel like you're free, then you are, or where we kind of negotiate terms where Jesus says that we can be free, but we kind of say, well, can we, can we go this far? Can, can you negotiate here? No, this is the Son of God who died and rose from the dead, and so he calls the shots. And so I have to warn you that Jesus today tells you exactly how you are free indeed. But first, he has to point out a couple things. A stark reality the purpose behind his greater design, and the place we have to go to find it, knowing where to go and how we can know that it's true. First of all, the stark reality. I invite you to have that lesson open, John chapter 8. As you're opening up to it, you might be able to recognize that when you're talking to people who live in freedom, generally speaking, it's kind of hard to convince them that you have freedom to offer. Because it's hard to offer something to somebody when they already have it. It'd be like if at the door after the service I was offering to sell you tickets so that you could have access to drive on the roads later. You would think I balked my head even more than you might already think that because you don't need permission for something you already have access to. So when someone is offering freedom to people who generally feel like they are free, you kind of crinkle your nose and your eyes and tilt your head and wonder what's wrong with this person. I don't need you to give me something that I already have. You're going to sell tickets for oxygen too? We're not the first ones to ever think that. That's exactly what some of the people in Jesus' audience said. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what do they say? I'm, I'm sorry, what? Your freedom? We're, we're children of Abraham. We have never been slaves of anyone. You're trying to offer us something that we already have. Why do you, what is this speech about you giving us freedom and stuff? Notice the things that Jesus could have said. Jesus could have said, um, so you are sons of Abraham, and you say, and I quote, have never been slaves of anyone, end quote. Did you guys kind of forget about that whole Egypt thing? Like, sons of Abraham, all of you? Slavery, Egypt, that was a thing, 1500s BC, remember that? So he doesn't go that route, though. He could have also said something like, so um, what is this called? Is this called the Jewish Empire we're living in or the Roman Empire? Sure, it's the Pax Romana and there's general peace, but the Romans show up and they say, bow, you ask how low? Never slaves of anyone? Really? Tell me more about this imaginary land you live in with fairies and pixies and stuff. Jesus didn't go there either. Jesus knows that when people enjoy a type of freedom, that freedom has a way of blinding them to the things that truly and more deeply enslave them. When people enjoy a type of freedom 
that freedom has a way of blinding them towards the deeper enslavements in their heads and in their hearts. You and I know that to be true. Do you live in the land of the free? But so easily, does that, does that mean that, as people commonly say, you are free to do just about anything you want? You are? So are you free or not? So you're free? Yeah. <laughs> so you can do anything you want? No, you can't. <laughs> I know your mom. She doesn't let you. <laughs> but so easily when we enjoy a, a certain type of freedom, we forget that there are a whole lot of things that go on inside our heads and our hearts that we know have to be curbed, not just from subjectively on the inside out, but from the outside in. Are you free to do everything that you think and everything that you imagine and everything that you want? If that were the case, even for just, let's just say for argument's sake, just three of us, just three of us, is that going to go well for everyone or even just those three? No, we know that's not generally good. And yet so easily, because we enjoy some types of freedom, and because we talk about freedom, especially in this country that we live, among many of the, several other countries in the world that have freedom, we can become blinded to what truly actually enslaves us on the inside. And that's why Jesus doesn't talk about Egypt. That's why he doesn't talk about Rome. That's why he goes exactly to the heart of the matter and what's really blinding them. Notice what he says next. He's not worried about the, the liberties that they may or may not enjoy. What does he say? Whoever not lives in the Roman Empire or lives among your people in 1500 BC, he says, whoever sins is a slave to sin. So who does that include? Sin. So that means God, the one who makes the ultimate truth claim because he's God and he's the, the ultimate lawgiver, has a say as to how we are to live. And so sin, whether we think of it in, in word pictures from the Bible as missing the target, God has this bullseye. We can never hit and missing the target of what he demands. We're never able to, to measure up because of our iniquities. We can never measure up to what God demands. Or, or God has drawn the line right at our tippy toes and says, don't cross it, but because of our transgressions, we do. Everyone who does that is a slave to it. And you and I even know this, right? We kind of talked about that before, before when we were looking at the, the lesson from Jeremiah 31. Just go the rest of today obeying Let's just even say eight of the Ten Commandments. Ready, set, go. Who here would be really smart and just decide you're just going to go to bed so that you can shorten the day so that you don't screw it up? Because we know that we can't, right? There's no way that we can. Because when you are a slave, notice he's describing something negative. You are a slave to something. We can't free ourselves from brokenness. We can't free ourselves from worry. We can't free ourselves from fear. We can't even free ourselves from some of the things that slip out of our mouth and we want to try and grab the toothpaste and shove it back in the tube, so to speak, but we can't. We can't even free ourselves from those things. Not even for a day. How much the rest of our life? We are slaves to sin. But notice, when you are a slave to something, you are also, in a slightly positive framework, a slave from something. When you're a slave to that means you're a slave from. It's, it's, kinda, it's not just that we are chained, wrists, neck, to a wall. It's that we are stretching the limits of those chains, wanting to get to something that we know would be for our good, but we can't. 
It's not, in other words, it's not just that we are a slave to sin, it is that we are a slave from God's ultimate grand design that makes our lives better, and inwardly, we all know it. Philosophically, there's something inside of us that makes us tick, making us know that there's something meant more for our marriage, more for our children, more for our lives, more for our work, more for us than just this life. We know that there's something more, it, but we can't reach it. It's, it's like we're stretching the, the extent of those chains. Think of it this way. Imagine if your spouse didn't just get the best of you, she got the better of, or he got the better of, the best of you all the time. That's God's design. I mean, imagine this, where, where husbands would have a wife who respected their husband so much, lifted him up and made him feel validated, never undercut him, never had a, a, a cutting word, always affirmed him, helped and encouraged him in every possible way, loved him, made him hate leaving her. For work, had to go run errands, needed to go grab a gallon of milk. He just hates leaving her. Imagine that. Imagine, wives, imagine if your husband built you up so much, you never, ever, ever doubted how he felt. He was never even distracted by anything when he looked at you. You never, ever worried about where you stood with him. He never even really had to say it because you know that actions speak louder than words, and that was the constant reality. Do you know that literally in this world, and it's been happening since um, the beginning, that whenever that happens in marriage, how does marriage go? Just statistically speaking, really well. Better than Siskel and Eber, two thumbs up, it goes really well. What's the problem with that, though? I mean, don't we want that, all married people in here? Everybody wants that? Okay, who wants that? Who's able to attain that? It's not just that we're slaves to, it's that we're slaves from what we know to be good and what we actually want in our life. Hey, parenting too, take your kids. Imagine if they got the best of you. You know, not just winning those short battles, but the long haul. That already they started to realize what you are trying to instill in them, not just through the end of this year, but for the rest of their life. They got the best father with wisdom and discipline, not exasperation, but guidance, gentle, firm, all the right places. They got the best mom who said just the right thing at just the right time, who never lost her cool. Dads never lost their cool. They never were short. They always were attentive. Don't we want that for our kids? So then, <laughs> even for us all, emotionally and psychologically, we want to be free from regret. But you could give yourself all the positive self-talk and all of the psychotherapy in the world and will you ever, ever, ever be free from at least two of the regrets of your past? Just two. But God wants you to be. You see, the stark reality is not just that we are slaves to something, it's that we are slaves from God's greater design. Inwardly, we kind of get an idea through God's word. He throws open the whole book and shows us exactly what that design is, and we can't attain that. And that is why God unveils a greater design. And this is where Jesus goes. A slave? Where do they belong? They have a place at the table? They belong in the house? No. But if the Son, that is the Son of God from heaven, sets you free, then you, dear daughters and sons, you not only have a place at the table, you have a place in the house, and you have position when it comes to inheritance. It is sonship 
in those terms. God's great design for you is that you and I would look at the stark reality and know that there is only one way, and one way only, for us to find a place at the table. And you and I know that slaves don't have any bargaining chip. It's not like we can say, I know you're going to give me a place at the table. Well, you know, I kind of was going to negotiate a little bit if I could get a little bit closer. No, slaves have no business trying to bargain. So too, those that are enslaved and separated from God can't bargain with him. And that is why he sent his son, no bargain included, and redeemed us and bought us back with his blood, his perfect life in our place. He died on the cross to pay for all of our sins so that now as God looks at you, you never have to wonder where you stand. He calls you his daughter. He calls you his son. And if the son sets you free, you are free, not kind of, you aren't free, maybe. What does he say? If the son sets you free, you are free. That was lame. If your son sets you free, you are free. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, there's, and this is God talking to you. You are free. You are not free so that you can look back at the regret you have. You are not free, so you can constantly beat yourselves up because you're not the husband or wife God calls you to be and inflict more guilt upon yourself than what you already see. You are not free so that you'd call yourself the worst dad or mom ever. You're not free so that you continually remind yourselves of the sins over and over again. God has set you free from that. So dear child of God, what right do you have to take those shackles and to try to put them back on? What right do you have to somehow determine to yourself that you must earn credit with God when he has opened up his word and declared you to be his own child. Isn't that what he said at your baptism? He put his name on you as you were brought into his family. He sent his spirit inside of you so that what was dark would now become light and what was lost would now be found. What was only enslaved by sin, death, and the devil would now be freed and forgiven for good forever. That's you. That's God's great design. So where do you go to get that? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is what we've been talking about all month long in this series. That God gets all of the glory and it is only by his grace and it is made yours personally by the gift of faith the Holy Spirit has given you. And yes, that is all God's design and the way the Holy Spirit has decided to work is not through lightning, it's not through clouds, it's not through decision, volition, intuition, some funny feeling in your gut. It is through the word. This seems to be mundane, right? It's just words on paper. But doesn't God have a tendency to work through the ordinary in extraordinary ways? I'll give you an example. There was once this baby that was born in Bethlehem, was placed in a feeding trough. It looked like a normal baby. There was nothing special. It wasn't glowing or anything. He needed mom still, needed dad still. That's kind of an ordinary, even almost borderline brutal kind of thing. But in that way, doesn't God accomplish the most extraordinary? So too, as you open up God's word, yes, Jesus' teachings, yes, his truth, you get to know that truth. But this is not just head knowledge. That's a different word. The word used here is this is something you, you become. It is an experience that you get to be free. And not just for a time, but you get to live that even now. How can you know then that the one who makes this truth claim is not just speaking his truth, in a world where you and I know we are surrounded by people who speak their own truth, how do you know that you can actually listen to this truth claim? Suffice it to say, 
the one who tells you to follow his teachings and promises you incomprehensible and eternal freedom is the one who did not only perfectly live out this truth, but he died and he rose again. So if anybody wants to make the, my, the, the truth claim that this is something different they can follow compared to what Jesus is saying here, defeat death and maybe we'll start listening. Until then, the one who literally died out of love for you and rose to declare you as his forgiven child tells you, come to my word, the heart of truth, and there you find freedom. And it's not just freedom for a time. It's freedom for eternity. For the one whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Far before July 4th, 1776, there was another instrumental day of freedom on July 4th. 500 years ago this year, July 4th, 1519, Luther had a debate. It was called the Leipzig debate with John Eck and others theologians from the church of the day. In this debate, the roots of the Reformation really took hold and things really started to take off. You may know that in 1517 was when he nailed the 95 Theses and it sparked this entire Reformation. Well, two years later, there's this debate and they have a showdown and it becomes very clear what is at stake. Either you follow the traditions that are man-made you follow the paradigm that you have to prove to God that through your earning your way out of slavery, you will finally be free, or, or you open up God's truth and you read it for what it is and you see that the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed, by grace, not, not by something you earn, by faith, not by some credit that is of your own. And Luther would continually point back to this truth, God's word so much so that he would even be willing to die for it. Kind of similar to those guys that signed the, the Declaration of Independence, right? Sure enough, Luther later would be declared Vogelfrei, a German term which says bring him dead or alive. If he's walking or he's lying, I don't care, bring him to the emperor. Why would somebody be willing to die for something like that? Because he was enslaved to it? Because somebody held a spear to his head and said, you better or else. No, it's actually the flip side. They said, you should reject all of this, which would have been the easiest thing to do. And yet he and so many before and so many after would be willing to say, no, I'm not going to recant any of these things. I'm not going to walk away from what God says in his word. What would cause a person to do that? Knowing the freedom that you might really lose makes you appreciate the freedom you have been truly given all the more. Isn't that what we said at the beginning? You never really truly understand freedom unless and until you're about ready to lose it. So my friends, you get to live freely. You are not shackled to your sin. You are not chained to hell. You are not controlled by Satan. You are not destined to some evil demise in this world. You have a God who loves you. And he proved it by sending his son to die and rise for you. And he declares that you are free, not just for a time, but you are free as his children now and forever. So let the world say what it will. Let the name callers throw their mud. You can tell your conscience that it can be quiet when it accuses you of guilt that is not yours. All of the sins that you hold before your eyes, put those things down. They were nailed to the cross and that cross is over and done with. Jesus said it's finished. You get to live freely as children, not as slaves, 
As people who have a place at the table, the inheritance is yours. And my friends, as you and I know, the one whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. May God grant that to us all. Amen. <laughs>